DiscerningHearts.com in cooperation with the Dominican Friars of the Province of St. Albert the Great presents St. Catherine of Siena, Her Life and Teachings with Father Thomas McDermott. Father McDermott is a Dominican priest and Regent of Studies of the Province of St. Albert the Great. He is the author of Filled with All the Fullness of God, An Introduction to Catholic Spirituality, and Catherine of Siena, Spiritual Development in Her Life and Teaching. Proclaimed a Doctor of the Church in 1970, St. Catherine of Siena is considered one of the great mystical doctors of the Church. Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI has said that she still speaks to us today and impels us to walk courageously toward holiness to be ever more fully disciples of the Lord. St. Catherine of Siena, Her Life and Teachings with Father Thomas McDermott. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Father McDermott, thank you so much for joining me. Nice to be back, Chris. Can you help us to understand the teachings of St. Catherine of Siena, her principal teachings? Well, you know, up until this point, we've just been talking about her life. Mm-hmm. And that's what most people know about St. Catherine of Siena. They know something about her life. And if they know anything at all, they know that she went to Avignon in southern France to... Uh, Uh, tell the Pope, basically, more than encourage, but (laughs) almost command the Pope to go back to Rome where he belonged after an absence off and on about 70 years. But in 1970, uh, she was proclaimed the first woman doctor of the church along with St. Teresa of Avila. And as I mentioned in an earlier program, to be a doctor of the church means that she has a teaching, a doctrine. And um, I maintain that her teaching, her spiritual thought, uh, is largely unknown and that it hasn't really been uh, fully received yet by the Church. And it's been how many years? More than 40 years since she Mm -hmm. was proclaimed a doctor by Paul VI. It's not that her teaching is difficult. It's just that I think as far as the English world, English-speaking world is concerned, we didn't have a really contemporary translation of her major work, the dialogue, until about 1980. And then um, her letters, which are about three times longer than the dialogue, uh, were only finally uh, translated into English about three or four years ago. Prayers have since been translated too. So this would impede anyone really wanting to get to know her spiritual thought, unless they knew Italian. And I don't suppose too few people, you know, few people would. Even Dominicans, I'm embarrassed to say, have not really devoted much attention or time, I think, to her teaching. But I believe that we're going to see a renewal of interest in it in the near future. At least I hope we are, because her teaching is really marvelous. It's not necessarily all that creative or unique. You know, she's a daughter of a tradition. She passes on the Catholic spiritual patrimony as she received it in her day, but she does so in a very, let me say, arresting way. And she's always very practical, and she's speaking mostly to everyone, lay people and religious, unlike later mystics who addressed most of their works to fellow religious. So it's, it's not that it's difficult, but when it came to the dialogue, for example, which is her a synthesis of her mature spiritual thought, it was dictated by her while in a mystical state to one of her scribes or secretaries among her disciples. So there are a lot of repetitions and interruptions, and it can give the impression that it's confused, or that what she's saying is confused or difficult. And it really isn't. You know, when you sort it out, it becomes quite simple. And I think a big help in that regard would be just knowing what she means by certain terms, like self-knowledge and truth and blood 
and desire and the neighbor. All these things mean something in general, but also in particular for St. Catherine. I find her teaching very rich. I'm just waiting for it to be discovered, you know, by the, the larger church in the near future. She believed when it came to the dialogue that God was speaking to her and that she was virtually just the mouthpiece for God. And I think that's one of the reasons why she never felt free to go back and edit it or to remove, say, the repetitions and interruptions, is that she really believed that it was the, the very word of God that was coming to her. And I'm sure that God was in her spiritual thought, perhaps not in every word, you know, as she thought, but certainly in the whole. So the dialogue can be a little heavy going, you know, for some people. Mm -hmm. uh, the letters are, I think, easier to understand, but there again, you, you kind of need a lexicon of Catherinean words to really appreciate, not to understand, but to really appreciate what it is she's saying. I know I've heard some contemporary people today talk about Catherine's, the meaning of Catherine's expression, self-knowledge. They kind of read into it a psychological analysis, you know, well, Catherine really didn't have any knowledge of psychology as we know it today. You know, we have to get back to the sources. And like I say, most of the things she talks about, she actually received. She put them together in unique ways and sometimes, you know, brought them down to the level of ordinary people. In, in wonderful ways. But on the whole, what she says is just part of the tradition. Father, you said that she had dictated to another what she was receiving in a mystical state. Can you mm -hmm. describe to us uh, what that might have appeared like? I mean, what, what is that experience? Well, St. Catherine was very sensitive to spiritual or supernatural realities in her life. And every day, she told Raymond of Capua, her spiritual director and friend, that the Lord would visit her and talk to her, and, and she would reply, and she would ask him questions. So she was very sensitive to spiritual realities. And um, when she would receive Holy Communion, and she desired to do so every day, which was unusual for the time, she would go into a state of ecstasy and would be impervious to her surroundings. She could even be picked with a pin, a pin and she wouldn't wake up. And she would be there on the floor for about two or three hours. Uh, it was very annoying to the uh, Dominicans in Siena, some of them, not all, because they wanted to lock up the church. And uh, there was this woman, Catherine, on the floor, uh, stiff as a board with 20 or 30 of her disciples gathered around her, waiting for her to awaken. When she did, she began teaching them, you know, which is another sign of her Dominican vocation of always wanting to share the fruits of her contemplation with others. St. Thomas Aquinas, or maybe it's just a, a scholastic axiom that he borrowed, said that things are received according to the mode of the receiver. Each one of us are like receiving sets. Uh, God communicates, you know, his love, for example, and... Uh, his love is the same that goes out to all of us, but it's received differently according to who and what we are in our own stage in the spiritual journey or lack of it. So that for some people, you know, who are in a state of grace to receive God's love, be the experience of a, of a spiritual energy from within, and it would be a consolation. But for others who are far away or who have deliberately done things contrary to divine love, they would experience that same love as an affliction. 
you know, but God doesn't change. It's how we receive it, where we are in life. And she wasn't unique. Other mystics received locutions. That's what the word is called in traditional spiritual theology. Locutions would be messages. The type of literature that the dialogue falls into would be um, that of private revelation. And the Catechism of the Catholic Church has one or two little paragraphs on private revelation, where it says that nothing new is added to the deposit of the faith, but that elements or aspects of the faith are made clear and applied to contemporary circumstances for the benefit of the faithful. There's a lot of interest among laity. Uh, maybe there always has been, but I know in my parish here in the Chicago Archdiocese in private revelations. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them are approved, some are not approved. But there is a, a role for them in the history of the Church, but they should never eclipse the Gospel. As you also indicated to us, entering into this very deep prayer, this very deep communication, she is dictating her experience, not just to anyone, but to her spiritual director, who himself would be lifted up as a, if I'm not mistaken, a, a blessed of the Church. Yes, he became a blessed of the church. She related these things to Raymond sometimes several years after the fact because they didn't know each other right from the very beginning of her spiritual journey, and he was about 20 years older than her in any case. She did feel the necessity of, of having it written down, the messages that she re received from the Lord, and she believed that that's what the Lord wanted. Uh, when it comes to the dialogue, she asked the Lord for general questions. The Lord answers at great length, I mean, 380 pages or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty much verbatim. You know, every so often she'll have a comment or she'll, she'll uh, express her awe at the Lord's teaching. And at the end of uh, every chapter in the dialogue, she does give a kind of uh, prayer of thanksgiving to the uh, marvelous words of the Lord. But other than that, she sees herself uh, pretty much as a mouthpiece of the Lord, and things are taken down as that. And she's, uh, she's in her own world, you know, with him at that time, and to a certain extent was also impervious to her surroundings. There are basic teachings that, if we can understand this about Catherine, it can kind of open up uh, the various doors to where she's taking us, and Probably one of the most compelling, the thing that stands out the most, is the truth of God the Father. Right. Well, uh, Catherine was a Dominican tertiary, or mantellata, and it's well known and that the motto of the Dominican order is veritas, which is Latin for truth. Catherine would have been reminded of this many, many times, and it became a real keystone in her own spiritual thought, the necessity of knowing the truth, searching for the truth. There are many truths about God, many truths about the human person that we should know, but there is a supreme truth above all other truths, and that is that God made us in his own image and likeness so that he could be in relationship with us, and that apart from God, we are nothing. Uh, we talked about that last time. Mm -hmm. And compounding our nothingness apart from God is the fact that we have deliberately loved wrongly because of defective knowledge about God or ourselves or the thing we're loving, and we've sinned. 
So that is another dimension of a complication, we could say, when it comes to the human person. But this is the supreme truth, that God loves us. He became one of us. He died for us on the cross. He made us in his own image and likeness. And then the truth about ourselves, as I said, that we're nothing apart from him. And on top of it, we've, we're sinners. The thing that really trips us up in Catherine's launching of this is are the effects of original sin. She has some tremendous assaults in the dialogue against sin. The number one sin is, is really selfish self-love, which is a derivative of pride. Mm-hmm. But that's not the fundamental reality of what it means to be human for Catherine. And, and here she's following a well-known Dominican line, and well-known line that was also laid down by St. Thomas Aquinas, that the fundamental truth of the human person is not that he is a sinner or nothing apart from God, but that he or she is made in the image and the likeness of God. Now, there are other traditions in the Catholic Church that would start at other points, for example, saying that, that uh, man and woman are sinners, they are fallen. But the Dominican emphasis has always been on a positive note. And Catherine picked up that tradition, embraced it, and it comes out all over in her writings. But she wasn't, uh, she didn't look at the world behind rose-colored glasses. She was very much aware of how uh, frail we are and the tendencies we have to um, choose wrongly because of our defective knowledge. For her, knowledge was everything. That if we could see God as he really is, our hearts would, would just be enraptured. They would leap out of us and go towards him. But because we don't have usually much knowledge or we have incorrect knowledge of God, our love for him is oftentimes you know, mediocre. And then we, we may love other people wrongly. We may not love them as some ones, but as some things. We may objectify them. And that gets us into all kinds of problems and incidentally gets us into all kinds of problems too because we objectify ourselves. When you start thinking along those lines, then people can be bought and sold in any number of ways. So for Catherine, actually, there were two principal truths that were most important for us to know. Each one was inexhaustible, and that's the truth about God and the truth about the human person. So when Catherine talks about truth or supreme truth, she's not talking about mathematical truth, for example. Two plus two equals four, or I'm an extrovert or an introvert or something. She was talking about uh, more profound things, um, which I just mentioned a few minutes ago. We'll return in just a moment to St. Catherine of Siena, her life and teachings, with Father Thomas McDermott. This is Chris McGregor. The work of discerning hearts could not continue without your prayers and support. Please consider making a tax-deductible gift. Click Donate at either DiscerningHearts.com or inside the Discerning Hearts free app. Your generous support will allow us to continue our podcast for those on the discerning journey. Thank you and God bless from all of us at Discerning Hearts. A Prayer of St. Catherine of Siena O Supreme Physician, O unspeakable love of my soul, I have recourse to Thee, O infinite and eternal Trinity. I, though unworthy, ardently sigh for Thee. I turn to Thee in the mystical body of Thy Holy Church, so that thou mayest wash away with thy grace all stains of my soul. I beseech thee, 
through the merits of St. Peter, to whom thou hast committed the care of thy bark, to delay no longer to help thy spouse, who hopes in the fire of thy charity and in the abyss of thy admirable wisdom. Despise not the desires of thy servants, but do thou thyself guide thy holy bark. O thou, the author of peace, draw unto thyself all the faithful, dispel the darkness of the storm, so that the dawn of thy light may shine upon the head of thy church and pour down upon him zeal for the salvation of souls. O eternal and merciful Father, thou hast given us the means of restraining the arms of thy justice in the humble prayer and ardent desires of thy devoted servants, whom thou hast promised to hear when they ask thee to have mercy upon the world. O powerful and eternal God, I thank thee for the peace which thou wilt grant to thy spouse. I will enter into thy gardens, and there I will remain until I see the fulfillment of thy promises, which never fail. Wash away our sins, O Lord, and purify our souls in the blood which thy only begotten Son shed for us. So with that joyful countenance and pure hearts, we may return love for love and dine to ourselves Live for him alone. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to St. Catherine of Siena, Her Life and Teachings, with Father Thomas McDermott. When you look at it in that light, it, she really is a, a, a herald of what we've come to really been defined by Catholic social teaching. I mean, she she brings it forward into vivid colors of the dignity of each human person right. and, and the value of that person. And the, and the necessity of leaders, whether ecclesial leaders or secular leaders, to really put others first and um, to serve others and, and do for others what would be best for them. And, um, and I know one uh, Dominican... Father Parmesano, a few years ago, wrote an article in which he described St. Catherine of Siena as the doctor of friendship. Hmm. Well, she had so many friends, and, um, and she was so loyal to her friends. The more letters you read, the more you see how she's always interceding for them, and she's gaining indulgences for them, and she's concerned about them and sending them letters. 
all the time. But I also mentioned, I believe it was last time, that it wasn't easy to be a friend of St. Catherine of Siena because she had very high expectations of herself, of others. And she really got after her friend Raymond of Capua many times because she didn't think he was courageous enough, manly enough, and carrying out the mandates that she believed the Lord or the, the Pope had given him and that he backed off from human fear many times. But nonetheless, she loved him very much. In her letters, she speaks openly about the special love that she has for Raymond, that they were all called to a kind of general love of each other, but that there is, there is also a particular love. And she had a particular love for Raymond, and Raymond loved her too. Uh, there were many years between the two, and uh, there was nothing secret about that. I mean, all her letters were dictated to others. And each one <coughs> was uh, really helped the other to grow spiritually. It's reflective, her disposition, of the disposition that we will see coming forth from the Father to all of us in his message, a very loving message, but a teaching one, and, and stern in some areas, but never, uh, can I say, never condemning. No, she didn't condemn people, and um, Jesus commanded us not to, that uh, all judgment has to be left to God. And I might also go back and say that, how do we arrive at truth? Catherine really think all of us, from the simplest to the most sophisticated, are going to hit the books and start studying theology. No, she didn't mean that. The sources of truth include prayer, particularly contemplation. And anyone can practice prayer. Anyone can contemplate if he really desires to do so. And in this way, the Lord imparts a knowledge of himself, because really contemplative prayer is union with the, the prayer of Christ. So, you know, she would expect us to study the Bible, particularly the Gospels of the Lord, participate in the sacraments, and she learned quite a bit from the sacraments that we would learn also from our human relationships. Those, there are many sources of truth. And uh, she wouldn't rule out studying theology either, but that's not what everyone is called to. But even though she couldn't read or write, at least for most of her life, she engaged in deep theological discussions with learned people like William, the Augustinian hermit that we talked about last time, and uh, Raymond of Capo, almost any learned person, particularly priests that she would meet, she would pick their brains, but inevitably she would start teaching them and preaching to them also, even the Pope. There's a particular passage that I always refer to in the dialogues to Catherine is teaching essentially the, the keys to discernment and that how so many people want to do good and yet they haven't asked him in prayer if this is what he is desiring. I'm paraphrasing all of this, of course. Mm -hmm. And he essentially tells her that you'll know that it's from me when someone is exhibiting and doing my will because it's cloaked in virtue. Exactly. I mean, there's so many teaching moments, especially about prayer, contained in these dialogues. Yes, Catherine said... And if you want to know if a mystical experience is valid, just look at whether or not it produces an increase in virtuous living, mm -hmm. you know, on the part of the person who, who experienced it. So that was really her test. You know, are you growing in virtue? That is a key for us today. This is why it's so important to go back and to really learn from the teachings of Catherine of Siena, because 
this this occurs throughout the dialogues and there are so many opportunities for us to just to even learn about prayer as well as what it is to live out in the world. Right. Well, she's she's kind of a a systematic theologian in the sense that she all her teachings fit together, they're comprehensive, they're systematic. I believe I said earlier that uh, mm-hmm. we could even do a catechism of St. Catherine of Siena because she, I think every article of the faith, not almost every article of the faith, she has something to, to say about it, some teaching. Going back to those, the basics of her teaching, the one thing that she helps us to see is that humility and obedience are so key because Christ was humble and obedient by becoming little and serving us. Yes, and uh, humility was an important virtue with her, as was patience. And she said that when in the course of our lives we see God as he really is, it's typical that we, we have such a powerful religious experience that it's almost a rebaptism, And that our first reaction upon seeing the truth of God's love for us is tremendous humility. Because we see how God is infinite, how much more powerful he is than us, no comparison, et cetera, et cetera. And we just kind of shrink down to our own size and, and say in so many words, you know, why me? Why have you glanced at me? And uh, your lowly servant, as Mary said. And then the second reaction after humility is love. You know, our, our heart goes towards him who first loved us. And then Catherine said, uh, just repeating myself from a previous program, Mm -hmm. that uh, the way in which we know whether we're really loving God and and are humble is if we're patient. That's a beautifully practical teaching, if Mm -hmm. we're patient. The other thing that comes through so beautifully is not only that God became man and humbled himself, but that he also gave us a share of his divinity. Now, mm-hmm. a lot of us, we, we may have heard that, but I don't think we truly appreciate what it is to have that sharing in God's divinity. Mm-hmm. It's a very beautiful thought. You're referring to the doctrine of deification or divinization, mm-hmm. which uh, has always been part of Catholic doctrine, but more emphasized perhaps in the Eastern Church than the Western Church. References to divinization uh, occur in the Catechism of the Catholic Church and in numerous places in the Roman Missal. Uh, just to give you one example, where the, when the priest puts the drops of water into the chalice before the consecration, he says, By the mystery of this water and wine, may we come to share in the divinity of Christ, who humbled himself to share in our humanity. I think uh, this doctrine of divinization, deification, if we if we look at it, can really open to us what the essence of Christianity is. The essence of Christianity is not essentially a moral code and keeping it with the promise of reward in the next life. No, Christianity is relevant in the here and now that when we're living in a state of grace, in other words, when Christ lives in us, we are participating in his divinity, not fully, that will only happen in the next life for some, but that we are called to allow Christ to increase his presence in our, our life and for sanctifying grace to grow in us. 
And keep in mind that sanctifying grace, according to St. Thomas Aquinas and according to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, is not merely forgiveness of our sins, as many of our Protestant brothers and sisters think of it, but it is a certain participation in the divine life or in the nature of God, the same thing. A certain participation in the divine life. This isn't something that we only begin to experience in the next life. No. Uh, if Jesus isn't living in us at the moment of our earthly death, then uh, we're in trouble in a sense. Um, he's meant to live in us now. And when he does, even in a minuscule way, uh, we're participating in some way in his own divine life. And maybe it expresses itself in tolerance or forgiveness above and beyond the call of duty or, or generosity of, of time or labor so many possibilities, but the, the, the infusion of the divine life in us in this life, here and now, is essentially what Christianity is about. And it mirrors the mystery of the inner life of the Trinity, where our Lord says, you know, uh, all that I have is the Father's and the Father has given all to me. Each one pointing to the other, each one pouring himself out for the other, and the Holy Spirit being the bond between father and son. It's a participation in that, and uh, it begins now in this life. That's the essence of Christianity. Mm, how incredibly wonderful. Yes. And, uh, I'm looking forward to our future discussions on more aspects of Catherine's principal teachings and spiritual development. It, it's been wonderful. We can even get a glimpse, even just in these conversations, about that relationship with the Father of our identity. Uh, mm -hmm. I, we get a sense, by entering into her teaching, praying with her, we, we get a sense, along with her, of our true identity. Mm -hmm. It's really quite remarkable. And, you know, Aquinas said that grace makes things beautiful. And we see this so wonderfully in the life of Catherine of Siena, how as God came into her life more and more, far be from becoming inhibited or frozen or pent up in some way, mm -hmm. she became more and more beautifully human. And, um, and we're made, human beings and angels are made for grace, and grace is made for human nature and angelic nature. We're not really complete until we have that uh, component of grace. Thank you so much, Father McDermott. You're welcome. You've been listening to St. Catherine of Siena, Her Life and Teachings with Father Thomas McDermott. To hear and or to download this recording, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Albert the Great. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, and if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for St. Catherine of Siena, her life and teachings with Father Thomas McDermott.